More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in Wednesday edition, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. We have got a heavy of stories to dive into, uh, including State of Kentucky has picked a nominee to run this November against Andy Bashir, the Democrat governor who's been one of the worst governors on COVID in the entire country. Daniel Cameron wins big. We will see whether Daniel Cameron can take down Andy Bashir. We may talk to Daniel Cameron today. Uh, but we begin, Buck, with what I think is probably the most consequential aspect of media as it pertains to the upcoming 2024 election. Uh, and that is, we all know that there was a big tech rig job in effect to help drag Joe Biden across the finish line. Now, you don't even have to be a dyed-in-the-wool Republican or even a Trump voter to look at the basic facts and say Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, every single big tech platform with any kind of substantial audience was all pulling in the direction of Joe Biden to be elected, and they were willing to do whatever they could on their platforms to help to make that happen, including certainly keeping the Hunter Biden story from ever seeing the light of day. One reason that we have talked so much about Elon Musk buying Twitter is because it changes the game just in terms of having someone who is willing to allow natural, honest conversations to take place on Twitter. Now, I'm not saying that everything Elon Musk has done is perfect. I'm not even saying that there's going to be a great business there or that somehow Twitter is going to flourish with uh, Elon Musk in control. But if you look at what Elon Musk is saying, and if you look at the basic outlines of what exactly is going on, this becomes a pretty significant aspect of counter-intel in many ways. And I want to play many of these sound bites from an interview that Elon Musk did yesterday with CNBC. And I want to start 
with the most consequential, I think, which is him directly saying on CNBC that the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story is election interference. And I want to play this audio for you because unless I am wrong, I don't believe, I don't think I am, I don't believe any big tech executive has ever publicly acknowledged the suppression of Hunter Biden was election interference. We hear all the time about the sanctity of elections in this country. We know what the FBI is doing. We know what the Department of Justice is doing. We know all of the cheating that is going on with Joe Biden's administration, both to be elected in 2020 and potentially to be reelected in 2024. Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter is the most clarion sound so far that we may have some fairness in big tech stories. But here is Elon Musk directly saying on CNBC, this was suppression and it was election interference. And this is super important to have a big tech executive saying, listen, you do some tweets that seem to be or at least give support to some who would call others conspiracy theories. Well, yes, but I mean, honestly, you know, some of these conspiracy theories have turned out to be true. Which ones? Well, like the the Hunter Biden laptop. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that 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 was a pretty big deal. There was Twitter and 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 others engaged in active suppression of information that was relevant to the public. Um, that's that's a that's a terrible thing that happened. That's election interference. It is election interference. Yes. And the problem that we now are are facing, and I think everyone needs to understand, there was a phrase that was being used a bit more on the right um, recently, and then it kind of fell out of favor. You know, do you know what time it is? And to know what time it is right now is to understand that the people who were pushing the craziest stuff over COVID, the people who pushed the Hunter Biden laptop lie, the 51 uh, intelligence, former intelligence officers and really intelligence agency heads, most of them or a lot of them, um, the people who have done so many of these things, Clay, they don't care that they were wrong, right? There, there is no integrity to protect. There is no honor that they seek to regain. It was useful to them in the moment. They would do it again. And you see that with the uh, Durham report that just dropped. There's really no, there's really no one who's coming forward to say, how is it possible the entirety of the Democrat commie media apparatus got this thing so stunningly wrong? And no one comes forward to say, you know, I honestly, I, I fell for it and I'm sorry and I won't do it again. No one apologizes on the left for being wrong anymore because being right isn't the point. Being right isn't the purpose. They have chosen to live by lies. And I think everybody has to understand that's what time it is now. This is what we are up against. And Elon knows it and understands this as a threat really to not just America, but Western civilization as we know it, the notion of free speech and at least the freedom of the press at some level. Um, and we're entering a different phase. We are a post-journalism phase of America now. What about the fact that all of those Pulitzer Prizes are still outstanding and journalists are still buying, uh, bragging about them associated with the Russia collusion lie? In an honest world, I don't know if you pay a lot of attention to this, Buck, but... If they find out that you cheated in baseball, right? They find out that you use steroids. They won't vote you into the Hall of Fame because they believe that the numbers upon which uh, you posted your career were based on a lie that you were using banned substances, that you were using steroids. And there's lots of examples of this in the Baseball Hall of Fame. If you're a baseball fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Even Congress had hearings on this. 
Why are there no consequences for the Pulitzer? If you win a Pulitzer Prize for a story that later is proven to be a falsehood, isn't the very basic element of the prize itself rooted in journalistic accuracy, at least in theory? Right. And wouldn't you have to pull them if you cared about that at all? So this is this is what I'm I'm getting yeah. at in terms of the perception shift, and I, I know you see it. I I want everyone at home to to understand that journalism now operates like a, a country club where they're rejecting certain people, but they'll never say why because they ultimately know, like you know, we only want you know certain people to join, and it's that's now when you look at the Pulitzer. This is an insiders club that is a bunch of activists. They don't actually exist day in and day out to provide people with the facts to speak. I mean, speak truth to power is a joke, right? These these people who are supposed to be covering the Biden administration now, and it was the same thing under the Obama administration, they are the handmaidens of power. I mean, they are people who go above and beyond to spread the propaganda of the left and to do so gleefully. And, you know, th- this is, I-, I think at least, Clay, the clarifying moment we're in, it's really good. When someone like Elon comes forward and says... Uh, it's not about. Do we have the clip by the way? We talked about. Yeah, we have about, the clip about money. Do, do I, I you think that's do it? significant too. Yeah, I, I, we should almost, definitely play it. So, so uh, Elon was pushed. I have a couple things on this. One is journalists get so defensive about Soros all the time, and, and I, I really mean this. This is a foreign-born billionaire who has decided to make American cities more dangerous. More people have been, you know, murdered, raped, mugged, assaulted, robbed because of policies that. No one ever even thought to pursue in the way that Soros has, and this is a matter of public record. Journos that were always, why are you, why are you picking on Soros? And it's because I think ultimately they have some uh, affinity for Soros and also all the foundations that he funds, including things that are just meant to attack people on the right. Soros money does go to those entities and organizations. But beyond that, Clay, this notion that someone like Elon Musk might have some greater purpose, might have something in mind beyond just getting the chattering classes clinking their champagne glasses in order to talk about how great he is uh here here's elon when he's pushed by this cnbc journalist and he just says look there's something more um play four do your tweets hurt the company are there tesla owners who say i don't agree with his political position because and i know it because he shares so much of it or there are advertisers on Twitter that Linda Yaccarino will come and say, you got to stop, man. Or, you know, I can't get these ads because of some of the things you tweet. You know, I'm reminded of the scene in The Princess Bride where he confronts the person who killed his father. And he says, offer me money. Offer me power. I don't care. So you just don't care. You want to share what you have to say? I'll say what I want to say. And if... if, if uh, the consequence of that is losing money, so be it. You know, Clay, I, I, I tweeted out in June of 2021 a thread that Rush read, every word of it on his show, uh, so on these airwaves, about how if you're a billionaire in this country and you care about the country, stop being a wimp. Do something. Step up. If you care about freedom, if you care about not even just conservatism, now, there was a lag period. I'm not saying Elon read that tweet, but the idea was there if people don't step up and start doing things who aren't worried about paying their bills, aren't worried about what happens to the mortgage, the left wins. So Elon, this is why they hate him now so much, because there is a rallying effect. Other people who are in positions of 
they can say what they want without real material consequence to them, other than the New York Times maybe criticizing them. Other people may want to come forward and say, you know what, gender transitions for 12-year-olds, not a good idea. Turning our cities into high-crime hellscapes, not a good idea. Using big tech to suppress certain thoughts and ideas during a pandemic and to push lies during an election, not a good idea. Yeah, we agree, uh, and, and and that's why I was so Im- so 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 happy to hear, joyous almost to hear that interview with Elon Musk when he said that because we've been hammering home the same thing. If you are fortunate enough to be very wealthy, and we have a lot of those listeners right now, what are you afraid of? Th- that is my question. I understand a hundred billion percent. If Because I've been there. If you have young kids and you're worried about paying your mortgage, if you've got a kid in college and you're helping to put that kid through college and, man, you really have to have your job in order to do that. If you're an employee and your ability to take care of your family is directly dictated by what you make on a week-to-week basis, I 100% understand why you may have strong opinions, but you feel like you just got to bite your tongue. But if you are worth 20 30 40 million dollars or more and you aren't willing to say exactly what you think what are you afraid of and why are you such a coward and so for whether you agree or disagree with Elon Musk I mean I think he would acknowledge hey at 44 billion dollars I overpaid for Twitter but Elon Musk is a long horizon guy I mean he wants to put people on Mars and he wants to leave, I really do genuinely believe this, humanity in a better place than humanity was before he was born. I think that should be the goal of anyone, certainly of anyone who is super wealthy. I would hope that that would be their goal. What are you waiting for? Sitting quietly and meekly on the sideline with all of your gold balance behind you, why are you not weighing in? You have nothing to be afraid of. No one can do anything to you or your family. You will be taken care of and they will be taken care of long into the future for generations that you can't even see. But will the country still be able to stand for what you believe in, for what you believe has allowed you to have that success? That's a real question that I think wealthy people have to answer themselves. Look in the mirror and stop being cowards. Yeah, sending a check to a think tank and uh, doing a little nice charity work on the side, it's not going to save the country. It's not going to save the country. So for the people out there who are on the right, or I would even say, to borrow from you, Clay, that are on the side of the sane versus the insane. So so for the sane billionaires out there, or, you know, hundred millionaires, or just people who know their material needs are met. This is what I would say to people, too. They they will call or they'll email. They'll say, you know, I want to get involved in this fight. I'm going to speak out at, you know, I work at at Initech, for those of you who are... uh, wasn't that what it was in office space? Initech, am I right? Is it was that? That's uh, a great question. I can't even. I remember think the it was called Initech. I work yeah. at Initech, if that's what it's called in office space. Um, and I'm going to speak out at the next DEI meeting. I'm like, don't do that. Don't do that. It's going to get you fired. Wait until you're in a position to do something. I'm not saying go along with it, but don't just charge up the the hillside and get mowed down by the machine gun, so to speak, because you think it's going to create some some hero narrative. They're just going to replace you tomorrow. Some people are in, you're in position sometimes to fight. You're in position sometimes to rest, refit, and recoup, right? And and I think for the people out there who don't have, e- Elon is leading the charge of people who are saying there are civilizational risks right now in America, and for people who don't have to worry about paying their bills, sitting on the sidelines and being afraid of being called out makes you a coward. And I just I, I think that's what a lot of us took from uh, 
what he said last night when he was, or whatever it was in this interview, when he said, you can give me money, you can give me power, I don't care. I think the truth is more important. How many people say that these days, Clay? It w- it w- almost felt revolutionary to hear. Yes. It, it, I mean, we do it every day on this uh, on this show, but for people who are billionaires who have nothing to risk, I mean, what Elon Musk, I mean, I know the stock price of Tesla can go up or down every day, and it does. So, but he's worth somewhere in the neighborhood of two hundred billion dollars. Um, you know, he's pretty safe in terms of being able to yeah. say exactly what he wants to say. But there are a lot of people. I don't know what the number is. The number's different. But if you have twenty or thirty or forty million dollars, you're pretty taken care of, right? Um, certainly, if you have billions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars, join him and speak out. Yes, so many absolutely. of us are reliant on our computers and smartphones. Just the idea of losing saved data, documents, photos. How about my case? The book I'm working on gives me chills. Book's going to be out in August. I lost it on my computer for a while. Had to go get it reclaimed. Have you ever had that feeling where you're working on a computer, we got a file, and suddenly it vanishes? The next time you turn on your computer, imagine it not working. Imagine not being able to access anything you've worked on. In that moment, what would you pay to have all that information back? The company iDrive makes that question irrelevant. Their systems back up the data on your computer and securely store it away. Eight years in a row, iDrive has been awarded the best cloud backup solution by PC Magazine. Eight years. That says it all. This is the backup system Rush spoke about. It's the same one we're now relying on. iDrive is the best in the business. Give yourself peace of mind by protecting everything on your computer Plans start at less than $7 a month. Get 90% off your first year plan when you use my name, Clay, as the promo code at checkout. iDrive is the easiest, the most secure cloud backup solution. iDrive.com, my name, Clay, C-L-A-Y, for 90% off. The supply chain of smarts, sanity, and truth. Uninterrupted. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty show to start listening. More than a movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast. And this time with a lot more movies, I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies from the Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael to the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. 
On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Second hour of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show kicks off right now. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. Appreciate you. 800-282-2882. We're going to be taking some calls here. And here we go. We have a House Democrat According to Fox, you faced a bit of a backlash for being dismissive of testimony up on at the House's Homeland Security Committee hearing on left wing violence. Before we get into this, I, I do just want to remind everyone that the two biggest places, the two biggest areas of attack on uh, Donald Trump specifically, but really on Republicans now more generally because Trump was the Republican president. He's the front runner right now for the Republican primary. The two biggest areas they attack us on are um, election denial and, you know, election violence or or violence related to politics, right? Political violence, and election denial. And isn't it interesting that they do this with all of us supposed to forget about the fact that they, as we know from the Durham report, denied the 2016 election and, and tried to overturn it, effectively tried to kick Donald Trump out of office and even lock him up in prison if they could based on lies because they didn't like 2016 and they went with it for years. It wasn't just a one off. It wasn't some people who got a little overzealous or whatever. No, no. It was the entire Democrat machine denying 2016. And the other area, and these all tie together, January 6th. They talk about January 6th constantly, the threat to our democracy, all this stuff. I lived through. I don't know. I don't know, Clay, how bad it got in Nashville because it was so present everywhere. I, I, there were there were some. I remember in 2020, as there was the night of the purge in New York City, and they had Antifa lunatics in the name of BLM running all over the city, just smashing windows, looting, taking. Things. It happened on my block. I yeah. was watching as this stuff was unfolding. I could hear all the sirens. The NYPD was totally unable to deal with the mass, the thousands of people running around acting like maniacs. Those were all Biden voters. And the people who gathered outside the White House when Trump was president and had to be cleared with tear gas right in, uh, what is it, Lafayette Square? Those are all Biden voters. The people who tried to burn down a courthouse in Port- uh, Portland, Oregon, and were shining lasers in the eyes of officers in the hopes of blinding them, didn't work, but they were trying to. Those were Biden voters. We're supposed to ignore all of this political violence, and that is why I think it's worth everybody, um, it's worth us taking a moment here to look at this hearing and what Julio Rosas was up against. First of all, you have representative, but how bad did it get in Nashville, Clay? Was it? Yeah, they, they, I mean, I remember Memorial Day weekend 2020 
they tried to burn down the Nashville courthouse. For people out there who remember, this was uh, iconic footage because Nashville was a city that had never had any kind of rioting uh, to speak of. And I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing on television. They were breaking out windows, throwing basically Molotov cocktails into the Nashville courthouse, trying to burn down the entire building uh, in the midst of a BLM protest. There were no officers to be seen anywhere. Now, thankfully, the fire didn't take and really uh, bring down the building, but it was awful. And and I, I remember watching that footage, Buck, and being so furious and angry that in my hometown we had allowed rioters to try to burn down a courthouse and there was at that time zero consequences for them so yeah in my in, in my own town too it was now it was not new york city it was not chicago it was not some of the cities that had you know weeks and weeks of aggressive rooting uh, rioting and looting but it was it was something i've never seen before and i hope to never see again and the only time that they can talk about right-wing political violence in a mob setting is, is always January 6th. For Democrats, that's just like Tuesday. I mean, they, they yes. don't care. They will have and have had. There were BLM riots, the 1.0 BLM, if you will, under the Obama administration when they had that truly famous or infamous moment of it's a mostly peaceful protest <laughs> and they had the, the building on fire yeah. behind them, right? I mean... This is this also goes to the media knows its role. The role is not to tell the truth. The role of the contemporary Democrat media is to tell you while a looting mob is burning your house down that your house is not actually on fire. And if you think it is like maybe you're a bad person, a misogynist, xenophobic, a racist, you know, your house is not actually burning down, even though you're watching it burn down. They also had that great Don Lemon clip. Do you remember where oh, Lemon yeah. was at the party? He was like. Uh, there's a smell of weed, obviously. That, that was like, <laughs> again, Don Lemon, yeah. before he became like the anti-Trump zealot, had some moments on CNN where you were like, okay, it's hard not to laugh. Like, uh, he's, I think, a pretty talented television guy, you know, regardless of what you think of his politics. But when he said, there's the smell of weed, obviously, uh, was absolutely hysterical I, maybe we can grab that clip somewhere yeah. because they buried it obviously when he became the anti-trump <laughs> zealot but that one in his it is remember the we played that recently but when he got fired i think um we played the uh the don lemon like with lessons for black people remember that he aired on yeah. cnn which was like by the way would get him fired immediately in today's twitter but a lot of what he said was totally reasonable back in the day so, so Julio Rosas, bringing this back to what happened on the House last night, just, just we wanted to remind you all, they lie constantly about the, there's an omnipresent threat of political violence from the left. We all know this. There's a shooting involving law enforcement or even just a white guy who is the one doing the shooting and, or, or, or is doing the, the, you know, the physical confrontation of any kind. There may be a riot. We all know this. There may be a riot, and it will be Biden voters. It will be Biden voters who riot. It will be Biden voters in Portland. It will be Biden voters in Houston. It will be Biden voters in New York City. We all know it, but we're not supposed to. There's like a there's a, a prohibition on noticing that is going on. You're not allowed to notice this. It's like a war on noticing. Here is Representative Goldman. Julio has been at countless of these Antifa uh, you know, actions, direct action, they call it. It's not really a protest because they're trying to break stuff and intimidate people. 
Here is how this new Democrat billionaire trust fund baby member of Congress speaks to Julio Rosas, a frontline reporter and former Marine, by the way. Play it. Gaslight us up here as if Antifa, which Mr. Rosas, apparently the expert now in organized terrorist activity, has overruled the FBI director who says, there's a headline, says Antifa is an ideology, not an organization. No, no, no. Let's not listen to the FBI director. Let's listen to, sorry, what's your your title? Senior writer at Town Hall who is going to tell us that the FBI director is wrong. And I'd like to introduce, there's no question. First of all, it's an opinion, it's analysis. Second of all, the FBI director is not a very smart guy. There's plenty of that going on these days. We've seen it. And third of all, the dripping condescension here from a guy who, He's a billionaire. He's the heir. Oh, actually, you know what? Let's let Julio say because Julio is feisty. He took some shots. Play it. I think it's funny to be to be lectured by an heir to the Levi Strauss uh, Corporation, and, and that, honestly, that's probably why he uh, doesn't consider property damage to be that big of a deal. Because not only does he have that, but he also has uh, what some would describe an impossibly good stock portfolio. <laughs> Taking some shots there, and I, I think he gets at an important point, though. You've got a lib. Trust fund billionaire. Didn't make it himself. A lib yeah. trust fund billionaire who's, oh, what's the big deal if Antifa destroys a store window or, you know, burns down a CVS or a drugstore somewhere? It's not that big a deal. Cause, you know, worrying about property, Clay, is for the peasants when you're a billionaire. That's this guy's attitude. And there was so much that was wrong with it. He basically bought his con- uh, congressional seat. Yeah, and again, he's a good example of somebody who just accepts the conventional wisdom. Maybe he's smart enough to know the conventional wisdom is wrong. Question for you, because it builds off what we were just talking about with Leslie uh, Stahl last uh, last hour. Adam Schiff. Do you think Adam Schiff is actually really smart and just, like, was committed to the lie from the get-go? Or, my analogy of Adam Schiff is, remember Seinfeld? when George claims that he has a house in the Hamptons and then he gets called on it and eventually he gets into the car because the guy's like, I want you to drive me to your house in the Hamptons. And so George is committed enough to the lie that he gets in the car and he just keeps driving. I think Schiff bought into the idea that Trump legitimately was influenced by Russia. And then I think he was so committed to the lie that he was just going to ride it to the end of the earth because here's what's really sad, Buck. And this goes with the caller who wanted to talk to us to end the hour. What is really sad, and if you want to talk about a true threat to democracy, it's when there are no consequences for being wrong about issues of great consequence to the country. Right? Yeah. We care more about holding people accountable when they get a Super Bowl prediction wrong than we do when somebody says, hey, you're a Russian agent, you're a Manchurian candidate, they argue it for years, they impeach you based on it, when it's all proven to be false, Schiff, isn't he running for Senate? He probably will be rewarded in California. Am I right about that? Is he running for Senate? He probably uh, will be rewarded. He might get a Senate seat. We have a Schiff montage. Yes. Can we play the Shifty Schiff montage, s'il vous plaît? 
So there's clear evidence uh, on the issue of collusion, and this adds to that body of evidence. There's ample evidence of collusion in plain sight, and that is true. Have Democrats found any evidence of collusion? Uh, yes, we have. You can see evidence in plain sight uh, on the issue of collusion, pretty compelling evidence. And there is significant evidence of collusion. There is ample evidence, and indeed there is, uh, of collusion of people in the Trump campaign with the Russians. I think there's plenty of evidence of collusion or conspiracy. All of this is evidence of collusion. There is significant evidence of collusion uh, between the campaign and Russia. So this is, uh, I, I, would, I would say this. First of all, we all know all of that is a lie, and he just lied so many times. We could do a whole show, a three-hour show, of just all the lies that, that Schiff has told and all the hits. All The guy loves his face on TV. Yeah. Um, so y- y- you look at this, and I, I think what you have is a a lawyer uh, divorced from any ethics who saw an opportunity to make a case for a political purpose, and that's why he always picked it along. I don't think he really believed that Vladimir Putin was sending you know, text messages to Trump saying, you know, this is how we will steal the election. <laughs> I think that he believed there's enough here that I can make like a prosecutor who wants to take somebody down without really thinking the person's a bad guy. I think he believed that he could take whatever little tidbits were there, construct a narrative, and use it as a weapon against Trump. And that's clearly what he did. And he's a perfect example. Wrong about everything, more important, more powerful in the Democrat Party. Isn't that ultimately, if you want to talk about true threats to democracy, the only reason we elect people is so they can make decisions that you and me and all of us out there don't have the time to make on our own. They are our representatives, in its truest sense, analyzing all the data, making choices. If you elect someone and they're wrong about everything, they shouldn't get reelected. What's worse than being wrong about everything is being wrong about everything and either getting reelected or, in the case of Adam Schiffbuck, he might get promoted. And people say, okay, well, how in the world did Kamala Harris end up in the vice president chair where she's clearly not able to do it? Nobody's ever really believed that she was even very good at her job. It's because in a one-party system like California, when they decide you are the representative, you never have to actually go out and win a battle for ideas. You don't even have to be a very good candidate. You are just the figurehead, and Schiff may be the next one. I think he is going to win that Diane Feinstein Senate seat. That's what I'm saying. I think that's going to happen. So this is what we, because the Democrats think of him, the Democrats, and this goes to my central thesis, yep. they do not think of Schiff as a guy who was wrong. They think of him as a guy who was willing to do anything for the cause. And that's all that matters. That's all they care about. The lies. Remember, even the journos. Uh, we're taking the the opinion for a long time, Claire, or, or during the Trump administration, we're openly saying we can't report objectively because objectivity can serve Trump's purpose. The truth is anti-Trump. Therefore, we must be anti-Trump. And that I mean, it was the ultimate circular yeah. reasoning. It was just you know, right. we, anyway, that they, they said this openly in some of the uh, the big newspapers. So it's kind of funny. We think of those newspapers are really all now just website. Although Clay is a New York Times Old school, right? Old school paper. You do. The old I, I literally, stuff? to my right right now, Buck, have the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal print publication. Paper I tried thing. to buy. You'll love this. I was in LAX yesterday. I tried to buy the newspapers. They don't have them in LAX anymore. You oh, can't sure. buy a newspaper in LAX. Clay's a climate change monster <laughs> with his paper killing all the trees.
All right, everybody, look, on, on to something really important here for a second. You need to join me next Tuesday morning, a couple of hours before this program starts. We're going on at 10 a.m. Eastern for an exclusive interview with an extraordinary market analyst by the name of Mason Sexton. That's right, full disclosure, he's my dad. He'll be telling us about the great disruption of 2023. Mason, my dad, received worldwide attention for his uncanny prediction of the 1987 stock market crash and then went on to make many other incredibly accurate and timely market calls. Not only did he call the bottom of the 0809 financial crisis months in advance, he called the top of the market before the COVID crash and the bottom. He also called the exact top of the market in January 2023. And in 1982, he called the bull market after stocks went nowhere for 14 years. Now, my dad, Mason Speed Sexton, is coming forward with his first major prediction in 30 years. Something big and about to be set in motion over the next eight weeks. Want to know more? Go online to disruption2023.com to sign up. That's disruption2023.com. That's next Tuesday morning online. You can sign up today at disruption2023.com. Truth after truth, you can handle the truth. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. What has changed in this meeting is the president changed the scope of who's all negotiating. Instead of all the four leaders, it's really he's finally taking Leader McConnell's advice that he's applied to him. The same advice you gave to President Trump that it worked out, same advice to uh, President Obama and others. Appoint somebody from the president's team who can work with the speaker's team to see if we could come to an agreement. That is what the decision was made in this meeting. So the structure of, of um, how we negotiate has improved. Had we done this back 97 days ago, we'd already have a bill passed. Okay, that was Speaker McCarthy, whom uh, uh, who, who a lot of folks feel like has turned over a, a new leaf in his leadership role and has been doing a good job pushing on some important issues. Uh, is this one of those issues? I, I did an unscientific poll a few hours ago just to get a quick snapshot of of the uh, audience, or at least the Twitter audience. I said, do you care to hear, meaning I guess like on this show, about the debt ceiling fight, or is it all just political theater with a predetermined ending? Over 3,000 votes. No, it is a waste of time, won 70% to 30%. So it's a non-scientific poll, but here's here's the reality. Um, we spend too much money as a country. That is obvious. There are consequences to spending too much money. Hello, inflation. That was just fast money printing because of the lunatic idea of lockdowns for COVID. Uh, not to get, I don't want to get, I don't want to leave the debt conversation behind me, Clay. Can I just note, you know, now they're starting to look back and see that the ventilators killed people. Yeah. The ventilators, it wasn't the ventilators didn't save people. The ventilators killed people caused infections in their lungs while they were weakened and sick. To give you a sense of how bad the early stage care was here and how much panic was driving decision-making, um, there's a reason why people would go into the hospital with COVID and, and if they went on a ventilator, they basically never came off. It was because that was a horrible idea for a vast majority of the people they put on it. And it's like we're not supposed to really talk about it because I guess the medical community just doesn't want to really look at what was done in this country and others. 
But that was one of the worst things in the early days of COVID because it wasn't like masks and gloves and all that do nothing. The ventilator craze. Remember, we needed a million of them. Ventilators killed people in numbers that are staggering when you look at it. I mean, meaning it's a it was a misapplication of a care tool. Not only that, Buck, all of the ventilators just about that we rushed production of. I think we made millions of them, didn't we? They're now being sold for scrap metal. So the the amount of money that we wasted, this just happened in New York City, because you'll remember New York City was where the epicenter, Cuomo came out and said, we've got to have enough way more ventilators. Uh, we, We had factories flip over, start to produce them. Trump, to his credit, actually predicted that we would produce way more ventilators than we possibly needed, and now they are selling these ventilators that you and me and all of everybody out there listening, our taxpayer dollars, used, I think, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in ventilators, they now are selling them for scrap metal and we're getting back pennies on the dollar for what we spent. Not only did we kill people by using them, we built way too many of them that we couldn't remotely ever use and now they are being turned into scrap metal. It's stunning when you look at this and no one, again, no one takes accountability, no one takes uh, any any blame for this. But anyway, okay, so that was the COVID thing. But spending $6 trillion dollars, and this complicates facts because that was spent under Trump. And I, I know people that that upsets some folks to hear. You say, oh, but it was the pandemic. I get it. But why didn't the inflation under Joe Biden hit as much as we had hoped it would in the 2022 election? Because they look and they say six trillion of it was spent in the in 2020 under Trump. And you can we can try to argue about it as much as we want for a lot of swing voters. They go, yeah, both sides spend too much. And that's the key point here. Both parties spend too much money. Uh, I, I remember in the early days of the Tea Party, we've talked about this. What the debt was twelve trillion or something like that. Ten you trillion. Know, that ten was, trillion. That was the number that we hit. That everybody said, "Oh my Everyone God, we got to take notice here." And we're going to be at forty trillion dollars here pretty soon. And you know, we're at thirty-three right now. And it's here. The problem is, we have too many people who want stuff from the government. And as long as individuals feel like they can vote themselves more goodies than they have to pay for themselves, as long as they buy into that central lie of our federal government spending, this doesn't get better. And and this is the challenge that we have. No one wants to be the one that says there's no Santa Claus. Nobody wants to be accused of austerity or kicking seniors off their whatever, you know, fill in the blank. And so what happens? This It just turns into an arms race of I want to be in power. I'll spend even more. And and this whole thing about the debt ceiling fight, they're probably, and I have to look into the they're probably arguing about the percentage increase, not even a true cut in any meaningful sense in the budget. So, my friends, this, this is we're, we've this this is I think why people get so frustrated, Clay, because it feels like we're making no progress here. Not only that, Buck, if you just go back to the last budget that we did before COVID, twenty nineteen. The new normal that has been established in terms of what the United States government spends is not going even back to 2019 levels. It's now going back to the elevated COVID numbers. We're reducing what we were spending starting in 2020, but on a per capita basis, we spent more, and I believe this is correct. Our staff can can 100% confirm it, but the data that I have seen says that we spent more to combat COVID than we did to win World War II. 
Now, that kind of puts into perspective how much of an overreaction all of this was. And if you go back in hindsight, 2020, I, I, I would love the Marvel multiverse, you know, that exists, Buck. What would have happened if somebody like Rand Paul had been in office when COVID happened? Now, COVID hitting in an election year was the worst year, and I understand some of you out there, that's why you believe, because a lot of our audience, Buck, doesn't just believe that that COVID leaked out of a lab. There are some of you out there that believe that China intentionally leaked. Now, I'm not taking that next step, but the fact that this happened in 2020, if this had happened in 2019 or if this had happened in 2021, I think our national response to COVID would have been far more rational and less uh, less sort of hyper-emotional and illogical. The fact that it was an election year always makes these things worse. But I wish we could go back in the multiverse and have somebody like Rand Paul in the presidency to see how he could have handled this as a doctor speaking to the nation. I, I've always felt this way, and I know we just had uh, Senator Paul on yesterday, uh, and, and I, I say this with the utmost respect, I don't think he he's just not, he's not a guy to win a national election I think he'd be a really good president. Yeah. So I, I don't think that he could win the campaign because that's just he doesn't have those those instincts that he's you know, too that, brusque. He's too brusque. He's, he's too like, you know, just like cutting, I think, in many ways. If you put him in charge, if you put him in charge, he would do a really good job. I, I believe that firmly. I think he's because it's also not all about him. It's yeah. not really just about the glory of the guy in the office. So I, I think he'd be excellent, and he's still obviously If you had to draft somebody who's not in politics right now to be president of the United States, who would you draft? Oh, God, I, I can't even. I've got two answers. Um, I mean, you, you have this ready to go. President of the United States who is not even in politics. Throw me your answers, and it might jog okay. uh, my brain a little bit here. Should we tease it? Is that an incredible tease? Ooh, and we'll come back and we'll I Let's know. do that. That's how the radio I, game is played. I, I, I want to know. Um, also want to celebrate a life you saved. If you've donated to the preborn network of clinics, you have very likely saved a life. For many pregnant mothers considering life or abortion for their unborn child, preborn makes all the difference. Abortion seemed like the only option for Mackenzie, but she and her boyfriend agreed to an ultrasound. It was still too early to determine if her baby was healthy and viable, but her client advocate was able to help them understand better fetal development and what is involved in an abortion. And they were both horrified. They were invited to come back for a second ultrasound. After hearing her baby's heartbeat, it became real, but she still wasn't sure. And when the preborn staff member showed her the miracle of life after the third ultrasound, she and her boyfriend decided to keep their baby. And now they're signing up for parenting classes and other soft, uh, other services offered by preborn clinics. Preborn's network of clinics brings hope to pregnant women considering an abortion. And it does this by providing them with free ultrasounds. For just $28, you can sponsor an ultrasound and help write a new story of a life saved. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say the word baby or visit preborn.com slash buck or go online right now, preborn.com slash B-U-C-K. Sponsored by Preborn. 
Learn, laugh, and join us on the weekend on our Sunday Hang with Clay and Buck podcast. Find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are going to be closing up shop shortly here on the Clay and Buck show just want to remind you to please uh, check out the clay travis and buck sexton show podcast feed it's this show which if you miss any part of you want to listen on demand you can check out the podcast uh it's put up hour by hour there's the sunday hang which is non-political fun topics that clay and i will touch on during the week all pulled together for you in one place there's the buck sexton show where i do uh deep dive interviews with uh, phenomenal guests people that just are really interesting and have insights of all kinds uh, our friend Tudor Dixon is in the podcast stream as well. So you get all this cool stuff when you subscribe. It's all free. Download the iHeart app, also free, and uh, subscribe to the Clay and Buck Show or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, also, I wanted to give a little uh, little shout-out here. I appeared on the Sean Ryan Show, which I think many of you, especially former former law enforcement, former military, tend to be very big Sean Ryan listeners. Uh, I was on the Sean Ryan program, and the episode just got uh, released today. I think it's three and a half hours long. Uh, and so we talk about all kinds of stuff, uh, ranging from the commie prop- uh, propaganda machine 
to what I saw in the CIA that was the beginning of me wanting to leave, uh, to uh, the cover-up uh, with Epstein, uh, the trans agenda, and so much stuff. It's three and a half hours long, so it's the Sean Ryan uh, show that I appeared on, and uh, I hope a lot of you go check it out. Sean's a great guy. He's former SEAL, former uh, former agency uh, contractor, so uh, it was really a, a, a treat to get to sit down with him and, and talk for a few hours, so check that one out. All right, we have some great stuff here coming to the... Uh, here we go. VI, this is a VIP email. Now, I want to admit something to you all. Clay was trying to be funny. I don't actually... I wish I knew how to knit but I do not. I don't even know how to put a button back on a shirt, a dress shirt, which I honestly want to learn how to do. Um, since I married Carrie, I've gotten better because I don't want her to know that I'm not great with hammers and nails. Um, I like guns, but I don't know much about hammers and nails. So I'm trying to get better at the home improvement, Home Depot stuff. Uh, I do cook a lot, though. I like to cook, and I actually enjoy... I enjoy cleaning and doing laundry. So, you know, there are just certain things that I like cleanliness. I'll tell you this. I like cleanliness. I also like silence, which is weird maybe for a radio guy, but I like quiet. Um, but some of you are writing in about my my ability to knit, and I wish that was just Clay being Clay and uh, and, and having, having some fun with me. But Patricia wrote in. I thought this was really interesting. One of our VIPs. My father was a lieutenant in the Army Air Corps during World War II. He spent 18 months in a German prison camp. I watched and listened to my father talk about knitting and unknitting his socks. Because he was an officer, he was not allowed to work. So he learned to knit and play bridge on such a high level that he only had a few friends that would play with him. He shot the moon more than anyone I know. He was wicked good. These stories were shared with me from time to time. I was just a little girl. By the way, I still wear the stocking hat that he knit for me. These wonderful Treasured memories will proudly uh, be shared by our daughters. Only real men knit, she says. Well, I, I, Patricia, I, I'm all about it. I think, uh, I think being able to knit any, any creative, constructive skill, uh, is to be appreciated and it gives you a sense. It, there's something really special about learning things that are new that are useful. I love learning new stuff. One of the best parts about this job is, uh, that whenever I learn something really interesting, there's always this little, little firing of the synapses in my mind that goes, "Ooh, this is something maybe I can talk about on the radio sometime." Uh, so it's always encouraging or encouragement for me to learn new cool stuff, so that when I'm on air, I can even just throw in the mix of a conversation something that you will find interesting too. So I, but that's also true about uh, more hard skills. Um, crafts being able to do stuff the doing of stuff um and and that's i think something that more and more people are realizing you get a real um satisfaction from it like i said my probably my favorite craft is is the is cooking i do like to cook food and i will still uh i will go to my end saying that i make amazing um you know, scrambled eggs and and steaks, and I'm I'm pr I'm pretty good at that stuff, right? The proteins I've got down, uh, but I do wish that. Look, I'll tell you, I thought about learning, and my family members would laugh at me right now because they they're like, really? But uh, I think woodworking would be really cool, and not just because Ron Swanson was so good at it in Parks and Recreation, and that was his thing. I think woodworking is really cool. Um, I played an instrument growing up, but I never talk about what the instrument is. I like to keep people in suspense on that one. But I was, 
I was pretty good. Uh, would not re- not good, good like professional or or even high level amateur good. But you know, I was okay. I, I could you know carry a tune with my instrument. Uh, so anyway, I, I did not learn how to knit, and I want to, and I'm probably going to try to teach myself how to sew buttons on because I just just the other day. I had to do something on TV and the button on my cuff came off. And that's, you know, I should learn how to fix this myself. These are skills that people should have. Uh, we've got some calls up here. Dan in El Paso, Texas, right along the border there. Dan, what do you got for us? Thanks for taking my call. Um, I wanted to remind everyone of the story where in 2020, Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff was forced to release over 50 individual transcripts of testimony that were given in front of the House Intelligence Committee in 2017 in closed hearings and under oath. Testimony under oath was given by Schiff and other officials, Obama officials, that were saying at the time on various media outlets that there was evidence in plain sight of collusion of Russia and the campaign, Trump campaign during the 2016 presidential campaign. Under oath, every one of these people testified they had no evidence of any such collusion. Adam Schiff did not want to release these transcripts because in so doing so, they proved Adam Schiff and others in the Obama administration were liars. The people that were involved did that testimony under oath included Adam Schiff, James Clapper, Andrew McCabe, Ben Rhodes, Samantha Power, and Susan Rice. Yeah, they were. Look, you're you're right. I mean, I remember that Schiff was testifying about this behind closed doors, and when it came to the possibility of perjury, he had to speak the truth because uh, he's a he's a shifty lawyer. That Schiff. Uh, thank you for calling in. Appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think that. More and more people than ever before have woken up to the reality of what the Democrat media is willing to do and the lies that they are willing to tell, that they are unrepentant and plan to do it again. And that's a good thing, because when you understand the record and the motivations of the other side, you're more likely to be able to discern in real time. Is this more of their lies and propaganda, or is this the occasional fact they throw in to make it seem like they care about reporting accurately? Um, Looking forward to hanging with you all tomorrow. Clay just stepped out for a second to catch a plane, so he'll be with us tomorrow. I think he's coming to us from NYC. Uh, Go check out the Clay and Buck podcast, and check out the Sean Ryan Show podcast. Over and out. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. 
Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.